So they're in the garden, feeling completely ashamed. Now think of it. Up to this point, they never experienced shame, brokenness, sin, the effects of sin. They never experienced insecurity. Anybody else here besides myself struggle with insecurity? Yeah, and then we're worried if we put our hand up correctly. Like, did I do okay? Nothing. They didn't run from God because they were afraid of what he would do to them. But now they're hiding. And they've covered themselves up with leaves because they thought that that's what would cover their shame. But, and thinking that they could camouflage themselves from the creator of the universe. And as he walks through the garden, he calls out to Adam. Adam, where are you? He says, why hid? Because I saw that I was naked. He said, who told you you were naked? Oh, no. You ever have that moment where you said a little too much to your parents? You thought you got away with it, and they went, wait, 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 that doesn't make sense. You go, oh, no. He said, who told you you were naked? And Adam, like the valiant husband that he is, man of honor, (laughs) says, the woman, the woman you gave me. Yes, she gave it to me. You know who he blames? It's like, we blame the woman. Yeah, but you know who else he blames? God. You gave her to me. It's not my fault. Does it happen today? Well, I have these thoughts and I have these feelings and this is what you did. It's not my fault. We're quick to blame the creator of everything even though we broke it. Guys, have you ever broken something that belonged to somebody else? and had to tell them. I remember when I was like five, I was in line at my aunt's house, like the whole family was there, and I don't know how I got in the back, a five-year-old in the back. I thought the kids go first, but nope, not here. So I'm in the back and I'm bored. And I'm holding this plate, no one's watching, so I'm like, I could flip this. Like, I still remember this, I could flip this. So I flip it once, and in my head, I'm picturing like the world is noticing, like an Olympic champion. And so I flip it again. I'm like, man, this is good. I can do it all the way around. Bam, nailed it. And I went for a one and a half gainer. You know when you're in a restaurant and you hear that. And then we and Grace start clapping. Yeah, great job. So I take off running. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm five. And I don't know why I didn't go left because that was the front door. I actually went right. Left. If I went left, I could have gotten out the door and ran to Mexico. Like that's what I was my plan. But I went right, right, left, left, jumped in my aunt and uncle's huge shower to hide. And then all of a sudden I hear footsteps. And if you ever try to keep your breath quiet because I'm running, I'm like, and then you hear footsteps. And all of a sudden, here comes my aunt, and she tries to open the door, and I, I close. I'm like, I'm taking a shower. The, the water's not even on. I'm fully clothed in the shower. And she opens it and says, what are you doing in here? It's like, I just broke plate, and it just, I couldn't even get the words out because I'm crying. She goes, Brian, it was like a $2 plate. And I go, okay, why am I in the shower then? She's like, I don't know. Why don't you come out? And then she gave me a paper plate. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> you don't even trust me now. There's no redemption here. Guys, it's one thing to break a plate that costs $2. It's another thing to break the world. Think about it. God entrusted it to them. And it took them three chapters to break it. And then God comes along going, 
I knew all this would happen. How do I know that God knew it would happen? Because in Ephesians chapter one, around verse three or four, it says this, that before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. Remember when Paul says that he's writing to a bunch of Christians. He said, hey, you're coming to Christ was not your own doing. Before the foundation of the world, he picked you. So here's the thing, if, if it was before God said, let there be light that he wanted you, and it's before he said, let there be light that he chose you, then the fall was part of the plan and he knew it would come. You're like, well, it doesn't make sense. There's so much pain, but guys, think about it. How would we understand the length of the love of God? How would we understand his faithfulness if we didn't have to go through things that were difficult? Guys, how would we understand his redemption, his heart, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness? Again, it's easy for us to start questioning God and how he's God. But when we start pulling back and start looking at the scriptures and go, wait a minute, so God, you knew what you were gonna do. He's like, I've already worked all this out. I'm unfolding my plan. I'm not figuring it out as you go. And so he looks at these two and he curses them. After he asks the woman, what did you do? The devil made me do it. The devil just smiled. Yep, I did it, I broke it. Remember that part I said this morning? In the same chapter that we broke it, it's the same chapter that God says, this is my remedy. I'm gonna make garments of skin and clothe you. And again, the only way that you get skin from an animal is you have to kill it. And the covering is so that their shame is covered. And guys, that is, that is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Something innocent had to die in order that blood could be shed and the covering of skin, of skin around two sinners it's called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is like this. It's like if I have a coat of sin and Jesus has this coat of righteousness, we exchanged coats. And he gave me righteousness and he took my sin. And the only reason that I'm seen as righteous is because it's been imputed to me. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And in the same chapter we broke, it is the same chapter that God says, this is how I'm gonna fix it. Why? Because that's what all good dads do. We get to Ephesians chapter two, and remember we stopped at verse four with two words, but God. Describing all of the sin that we're in, that we're dead in our sin, that we're by nature objects of God's wrath, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show, now watch this, the immeasurable riches of his grace. By a show of hands, how many believe without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you? But you gotta go high, you can't go halfway Baptist. Like up here, go charismatic right here on this one. Okay, now put your hands down. Next question, how many of you believe without a shadow of doubt that God likes you? What do, you, what do you mean by like? Do you mean by like or like, like, like? What do you mean by that? Guys, think about it. I saw almost, almost no hands. Because this is what I think we fall into. And this was me, guys. I'm a recovering legalist. I used to have God all figured out. Anything that fit, anything that happened outside of what I was comfortable with was not God. If you didn't read the Bible every day, there was something wrong with you. If you didn't have the right translation, you probably didn't really know Jesus. I mean, I, it was just, I was just that guy. And I don't, even know how it, I don't even know how it happened. Until I, until I was introduced to grace. See, I think sometimes we think that God's just putting up with us. He loves us because he has to. It's like, those are my kids. Yeah, those are my kids. 
Guys, when you look in the Old Testament, do you know what God calls the people of Israel who were stubborn and stiff-necked and rebelled against him? He said, they are my treasured possession. In Ephesians chapter one, we're referred to as his glorious inheritance in the saints. Think about it. God's inheritance, his glorious inheritance is us. Guys, I want you to walk out of here and leave this camp at some point tomorrow knowing without a shadow of a doubt, God loves you and likes you, enjoys you, takes pleasure in you. At no point is he sitting there going, why did I pick him? Guys, has anyone ever gone through that really horrific experience for some of you of picking teams in elementary school? And the same people are always captain. I'm captain. Of course you're captain. You're always captain. And then they pick and you're just like, please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. I was last yesterday and they suck. So I'm, I'm better. And if you're not last, you're like, yes, ah, sucker. And then you walk off. But it's like, oh, so, and then it's like this. The last two people go, I guess I'll take you. I guess I'll, I guess I'll take you. But then they try to, they try to make it change. It's like, I guess I'll, but you're like the best. Come here. But you know what it meant? It's like, I'm the leftover. For those who didn't know Christ, he has never regretted choosing you before the foundation of the world. You were his treasured possession. He is so patient and long-suffering with us. His love is steadfast. He's for you, not against you. The creator who measures the universe with the span of his hand says, just call me Papa. You're like, Papa? Guys, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, this is how you should say, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's like, but that's Father. I know, but when you look in the Aramaic, that word Father is actually the word Abba. The word Abba actually means Papa or Dada. So what a one-year-old calls Dad for the first time. Guys, I remember the first time my oldest, when he was, the first time I heard him call call me Dada. I was driving home from from the church building and I called my wife during the days when it was legal to just normally talk on your phone and not fake it, but I was on the phone talking and she's talking to me about it today. She goes, hey, Dada wants to say hi. And I know what it meant. It just meant he wants to get on and make noises or she wants him to get on and make noises because she thinks it's cute. So she hands him the phone. He's just like, Oh, that's awesome. I'm like, is this tongues? Like, what is this? He's just going through it. It's almost like jazz. It's like kind of nice as he's saying it. And then you hear Kelly go, okay, tell him bye. And he goes, okay. Oh, oh. I went and bought him a pony. Not really, but I wanted to. I couldn't avoid it. Oh, it just melted me. And that's what the creator of the universe says. Just call me that. Our Father, our Papa, hallowed, holy is your name. That God lavishes his immeasurable riches of grace in kindness, and it's toward us in Jesus. And then for anyone that was brought up going to Awana, do you have Awana out here? Awana in this area, anybody? Have Awana at your church? You kind of memorize the whole Bible before you're four. I mean, it's like you memorize the whole Bible. Right? Oh, you got it. Okay, so I just need to say memory verse. Okay, so here's, here's your verse. For it is by grace that you've been saved. What is grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. You know the best picture of it is your birthday, my birthday. Who gets, the, who gets the presents on your birthday? You do. Who should? Your mom. She did all the work. 
Like she went through the pain and for some she reminds you, I was in labor for 42 weeks. I'm just like, they just try, it gets longer and longer. But I was in labor with you. We don't give them the present. We get the gift, but we did nothing. We just plopped out. For by grace you've been saved. That word for saved is also the word for rescued. That means you're helpless. When I was a youth pastor, we did a beach trip, a beach camp out. And I don't like either one of those words. I'm not a big beach guy because there's too much sand and they get, sand gets in places and I don't like it. And then the sand, no, it's a little weird. But and then the other one, I don't like tents. I know some people are like, I love to camp. I don't. I figure that's why they made hotels. Like, I don't understand it. I don't like, I don't like changing clothes like this because I don't fit in them. It doesn't make any sense. Or have to lay on your bed trying to get your pants on. I just figure that's a lot more work than I'm really used to. So, but I do it. I'm like, hey, the kids want to do it. I'll just do it. It's fine. So I didn't sleep that night because I'm the guard. The girls in tents over there, the guys are over there, and I'm it. I'm keeping them. You're like, what do you mean? You know what I mean. So I am the protector. So I'm not, I don't sleep all that great that night, and then we get up and they go, hey, let's go to the beach. So we go to the beach, and so I think, oh, I'm just going to take a nap. Some kids are like, hey, we're going to go swimming. It's like, go swimming, because I'm so tired of you. And so they go, they go swimming, and I conked out. I think it was like two hours. I'm gone. I'm just gone. I thought if you're gone for two hours, that's when the kids bury you. So I pictured if I woke up, I wouldn't be able to move, and the kids are like, I don't know, <laughs> they're poking me with sticks in my eyes. Like, I just pictured that was going to happen. They left me alone. So then I looked at my watch, and went, oh, crud, I better find these kids. So I got up, I tell the leaders, I ask them, hey, where are the kids? It's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, you guys have been awake. What have you been doing? We've been playing with the other kids while you slept. Okay, good point. So I walk off. I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, I felt like I was in, a, in an episode of Baywatch. Seriously, I see this lifeguard, this massive lifeguard speedboat just going like crazy through the ocean. And it banks a hard left, and three lifeguards jump out the back with these perfect swan dives. I'm like, dang. Then I see these trucks with lights and siren coming, and then they're flying into the water, and I see the ones on the towers jumping off and taking off, and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I in a movie? Am I going to be found? Like, this is my moment. I totally forgot about the kids until I realized where they were going. Like where they, were, where they were swimming, I saw like eight little heads bobbing in the water. I looked, I'm like, oh crud, those are my students. Now they had no clue, they're like laughing and joking, they're seeing all the lifeguards like, this is amazing. And then they bring them in. And one of the guys, I look at him and no joke, he's like chiseled like crazy, long blonde hair and Australian. Ladies, this is the guy. Like he's got abs on his neck. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and he looks at me, and I, I'm horrible with accents. He goes, they own a riptoid. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And he's, he explains it this way. No more accent. He goes, it's kind of like the ocean's way of sucking out people to eat them. But nobody knows. Like you could be caught in a riptide and you have no clue. And they're, just, they're just going nuts. And all the girls, because that was, his, that was their lifeguard, they're like, <laughs> so they're all excited about it. And in my head, I'm going, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> so I'm looking at the students going, guys, you don't need to say anything. You don't need to say anything. Because there's this pressure. Youth pastors, you feel me. There's this pressure. Every parent thinks they're supposed to bring every kid home every time. Like you have to bat a thousand every time. Guys, even in baseball, they never even get close to that. But youth pastors, you feel me? 
It's like, I have to bring every kid home? You get 50, you bring 49 home. Guys, that's still an A. <laughs> like it sucks for the kid, yeah, but I did fine, I got like a 98, this is good. I just had this fear. They loved it. But friends, they had no idea they were being sucked out to die. And for some of you, you have no clue that you're drifting away and sin is just luring you away to kill you. The sin that you hold on to, that for those of you that don't know Christ and you actually think you're free but you're not, for those that you've surrendered to Jesus at some point but maybe you found yourself, you're starting to dabble in some things and you're starting to get entangled by it, it's just gonna cause you to drift. Until all of a sudden, instead of facing Jesus, your back is now toward him because you're so focused on sin. So it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is being practiced by every person except for two of us. In this room, every single person sat down. Because you sat and, well, I don't even think you thought, it'll hold me, unless you've broken somebody's chair. That's when you sit there and go, I think, I think it'll hold me because it's a horrific experience, guys. I remember I was at another beach camp, I don't know what's with me in the beaches, but they get, they little, and it's this small little, small little community and they bring me a chair, it's like one of those ones you pull out, but it's like this big. And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine, I'll just stand. No, 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 you can use it. And so I sat down and I had my foot underneath and it's shaking, after, like, I don't know, after four minutes, because all my weight is on one leg, because I'm so terrified of this chair. And I'm like, oh, relax. I'm like, okay, maybe it's one of those special chairs for really big people, because I was like 50 pounds heavier by then. And so I'm like, okay, and put my foot down, and just said, <laughs> bam, I'm on my back, feet go up in the air, and they're like, oh, we're so sorry. And then they give me one that looks exactly the same. <laughs> it's like, I'm done. No, 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 no. I don't have any faith in that. I'm not gonna sit down on that. But you sat down. Here's faith. Faith is belief plus action. Belief plus action. If I really believe something and I act upon it, that's faith. But when you look at the passage, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, that word this refers back to faith. So here's the thing, God not only by his grace rescues you, but gives you the faith necessary that you can actually believe in him. He does it all. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this faith, not of yourselves, that faith is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Guys, remember how I've said we can't do anything good enough to get to God? And so God came for us. My friends, a couple months ago, we celebrated it, didn't we? His coming. And when, he, uh, when we think of his coming, we think of his manger. We think of some shepherds showing up. And yet, even in that moment, the shepherds showing up, do you realize that they were probably the shepherds that looked after the sheep or the lambs that would be used in the sacrifice at the temple? And isn't it amazing that they're the first ones that get the birth announcement of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world? No one else on the planet knew that the Messiah had shown up. No one knew that God in Abad was now on the planet, except some shepherds who were seen as the outcasts of society. And I remember, do you guys have a place around here in your neighborhoods during Christmas where they just light it up like crazy? It's like Disneyland on steroids, you know what I'm talking about? We have one of those places and we used to be able to walk it. Now you just have to drive it. I'm like, I don't wanna do that, that's pointless. When we could walk it, I'm walking past and it's just nuts. I'm looking at all these, except for this one house. This one house is almost completely dark except for three crosses lit up. 
Just three with Christmas lights, that's it. And so I walked over and I looked at it in my head, I'm going, ah, guys, wrong holiday, guys. Wrong holiday. This is Christmas. And this thought popped in my head. Hey, stupid. (laughs) I'm like, no, it's not me. It's always been about this. Guys, the manger of Christ lies in the shadow of his cross. That's the reason he came. And then he lived some 33-ish years, give or take, about 33 years. Three years of ministry where he's healing people, loving people, speaking truth. Guys, his message that he preached was this, repent, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. He starts this revolution, introducing them to what God is really like. And he ticked off some religious leaders who really wanted to keep control of what they had. And so he has his last supper with his disciples. Can you imagine what it felt like as he broke the bread? And he looked at him and said, this is my body broken for you. Take in remembrance of me. And then he passed the cup that had the wine. He said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Knowing who would betray him to death, knowing Judas Iscariot had already set it up. Guys, has anyone ever felt like you had one of your closest friends betray you? Do you realize there's Jesus who understands what it feels like? If anyone here has ever lost a parent and you're sitting there going, okay, if he's so great, then why do you let that happen? Do you realize that there's a Jesus who understands? And what parent did he lose? You ever notice that you, you see Joseph and Mary when he's 12? but you don't see him mentioned after that. Only Mary's mentioned. And so you sit there and go, but God just doesn't get it. And Jesus is going, I get so much more than you could ever imagine. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to see loss and death and what it feels like. Guys, he knows what it looks like to see the brokenness of humanity, but to step into it in order to bring healing to people. He knows what it feels like when he watches the outcasts pushed further out and he's the only one that would go out and bring them back in. He gets it. He knows it. In that upper room, he looked at all of his disciples and said, every single one of you are gonna take off. You're gonna desert me tonight. And here's Simon, he's like, I won't. He even says, even if all these other guys do, I won't do it. And Jesus looks and says, Peter, you're gonna be the worst. Like, they're just going to run quietly, but you're actually going to deny verbally that you don't know me three times before the rooster crows. Mm -mm. No, no, no. I'd go to prison with you. No, I would die for you. And I wonder if Peter or Jesus just looked at him and just kind of nodded, actually knowing what was going to happen. As we fast forward, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples are there, and he brings the three, Peter, James, and John, a little bit further with him. He says, hey, I need you to pray. And there's something different about Jesus' countenance and his personality that night. The Bible says that he goes about a stone's throw away, and he collapses to the ground. And he begins to pray. And when we read the gospel accounts, there's this phrase that we see him say, and we think that that's all that he said. But when he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. What's he saying? Now picture Jesus in agony. He's on, his, on the ground, on his knees, just crying out to the Father, Papa, Abba, take this cup from me. What's the cup? In the Old Testament, the cup is the representation of the wrath of God. 
So what he's saying is, Papa, take your wrath from me. But not my will, your will be done. It's almost like Jesus is saying this. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to experience the wrath of God. But not my will. His flesh made him afraid. Not my will, your will be done. And he goes back to his disciples, and the three of them are sleeping. He just asks them to pray. So he goes over and he just kind of wakes him up. And can you imagine Simon waking up? I wasn't sleeping. Okay, I was. The same guy who said, I would die for you, just couldn't even stay awake. I used to judge him for that, but how many of you ever tried to pray once you get into bed? Like, this is my time with the Lord. I've named my bed the Word so that I'm in the Word, <laughs> pull up the covers, and I'm just going to pray. So you find it, it's like getting all comfy. You know that wiggle? You're like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There it is. And then now you start to pray, Jesus, I just, gone. <laughs> 14 and a half hours later, you wake up going, amen, amen. <laughs> I used to judge them. I'm like, I would have done the same thing. Why? Because they'd done this before. Jesus always prayed by himself. He always went to the garden and prayed. He always got alone in the wilderness by him praying. He's always praying. This is just one of those times, right? He says, hey, guys, I know the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing, you gotta pray. The Bible says he goes away and he begins to pray again. Comes back, they fell asleep again. Leaves him alone, comes back and prays. But there's a part in John chapter 17 is his prayer. And when you read that chapter, you realize that even, even mentions us in that prayer. But there's a part in there, it's around chapter, or chapter 17, around verse 23 or 24, give or take, somewhere around there. It's the only time when I, I, I see Jesus actually say, this is what I want. Every other time, Jesus says things like this. Hey, I only do the things that I see the Father doing, and I only say the things that I hear him saying. But here when he's speaking to the Father, he says, Father, this is what I want. I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. Out of everything that Jesus says that he wants, what's he want? Us. Guys, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning the shame. What is the joy set before Jesus? That he would endure the cross. Us. You know it because when you connect the passages, it's like, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. And Jesus, while he's praying, Luke is the only one that writes this down. Why? Because he's the doctor. He's an incredible historian, but he's also a medical doctor, and of course this would fascinate him. He actually says in his gospel account that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. Friends, that's not poetic license, it's trying to describe poetically that Jesus was afraid. There's a medical condition called hematidrosis. Hematidrosis is this, when you are terrified of something so much, when you are anxious of something, it's just overwhelming you, the capillaries in your forehead will burst and you will begin to sweat drops of blood. Jesus is terrified. An after effect of having that is that your, your skin becomes hypersensitive to touch. So Jesus is terrified of what's coming. But then he goes to his disciples, and as he looks in the distance, there's this group of people with their lanterns and their torches, and they've got clubs, and they've got spears, and then one guy leading the whole parade. And then as he walks over to the three, he's like, guys, get up. My betrayer's at hand. They're like, what? Can you imagine all the disciples trying to protect and look out for Jesus and as they get closer and closer, who's in the front? 
Judas Iscariot. You ever wonder why he had to run the front? Why couldn't he just say, there he is, and walk away? And he made this sign with, with the guards that were with him, hey, the one that I kiss, that's the guy. And he goes up and Jesus, you know what Jesus calls him? Friend. His betrayer, he calls friend. And so for maybe for some of you, you've held on to that bitterness long enough and we need to look more and more like Jesus. He calls him friend. Do you, are you betraying me with a kiss? It's almost like this last ditch effort. Are you really doing this? And so then they come and they seize Jesus. They start to tie him up and then one of the disciples pulls out a sword and hacks off a dude's ear. Dude, that's nasty. But then you kind of look and go, what were you aiming for? Like unless you're an incredible swordsman, like you pull out, you're like, who's next? But it's Peter, good old Peter. He pulls us, I don't know if he's at this, I think he's just like, and then maybe that's why Jesus said, I'll oh, put it away, Peter. That's embarrassing. You got to put that boy away. And then the Bible says that Jesus goes and picks up the dude's ear. Right? Ooh. Malchus, that's his name, picks it up and heals the guy in front of everyone. Guys, at some point, you have to just sit there and go, I'm out. You're good. Malchus has got like, I like this guy. Let's, let's get Judas. But Jesus right then heals him. Guys, if it were me, I would put it on backwards. Just put it backwards like this. Now you can hear behind you, isn't that great? <laughs> they bind Jesus and all of his disciples bolt, just like he said. And they take him to the, high, the, the court, I'm sorry, the, um, like the inner court, court area of the high priest's house, not the temple, but the inner court's just like the outside, it's like the front yard. And John's able to get Peter in, he sneaks him in, and, and why is there the, the, the temple guards, they're questioning him, in, or the high priest is, and then the temple guards will smack him around and like mock and prophesy, who hits you? And the high priest asks him a question, and Jesus answers back, and the guard didn't like him, so he punches him in the face. And Jesus goes, why are you punching me in the face? Because you, this is God. The creator of the universe just taking it. And then outside of the fire, Peter's trying to warm himself. A little servant girl walks up and says, you are with him. Yeah, I saw you. I don't know the man. No, I saw you. Like you're one of his disciples. I don't know the man. Another guy comes up, no, 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 you were with him. I can tell by your accent. You're one of his disciples. And Peter calls down curses from heaven. It's almost like he said, may God damn me. I don't know the man. The Bible says that right then the rooster crowed. And Jesus from where he's sitting can see Simon Peter. It says that he looked straight into the eyes of Simon. And Simon gazed into his eyes and then ran and wept bitterly. There's Jesus all by himself. Finally, the high priest says, are you the Messiah? He says, it's as you say. And from this moment on, you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. He's referencing back to Daniel. High priest tears his robes. You've heard everything. This is blasphemy. They take a vote. Guys, this whole court trial thing that's going on, completely illegal. 
They cannot be doing the middle of the night. The witnesses they got, the stories, didn't, they didn't agree. But they just want to get rid of them. So they come up with this fake charge. They have blasphemy, but they can't kill them on their own. So they got to take them to Pilate. We're going to fast forward. Takes them to Pilate. Pilate's like, hey, this has nothing to do. Send them to Herod. Herod's kind of like a fake king. Send them to Herod. Herod's like, hey, do some tricks. Tell me some stories. And Jesus doesn't say anything. Doesn't do the tricks. Herod's like, I want nothing to do. Send them back to Pilate. So Pilate has this conversation. And Jesus isn't answering. He's not saying a word. Guys, have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Jesus gets it. But when you were accused, don't you try to clear your name? And Jesus didn't. Because it was for this purpose that he came. Guys, he's fulfilling why he came. Finally, at some point, Pilate says, do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? And then Jesus speaks up, and this is my paraphrase. I think Jesus says something like, oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. You're a pawn. This was put in motion before time began, and you are part of the pawn. You're a player in what it is that my father, I mean, my father could send legions of angels and rescue me. No, you have no authority here. You have no play. You're cute. It says from that moment on, Pilate tried to get him released. So Pilate comes up with this plan. I'll have him flogged. Then that'll be fine. They'll be okay. Friends, this is flogging. They would take Jesus and completely strip him naked. There's a vertical beam. They would take his wrists and they would tie straps around it and then tie it to this beam so his back is completely exposed. And then two Roman guards, one on each side, would have what's called the cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails pictured a stick about 18 inches in length, and then strips of leather tied at the end of that stick. And at the end of those strips of leather are pieces of razor, glass, bone, sharp rock. It's a claw. And 39 times they would come across the, from the neck down to the calves. Why 39? Because too many people died at 40. So they brought it back one to show mercy. When a Roman guard would come across the back of Jesus, he would then change the direction, change the angle once it hit and pull as hard as he could to rip open his back. 39 times and Jesus is just taking it. He knew all this was coming. So in the garden, can you see why he's saying, I don't wanna go, but not my will, your will be done. And as this is happening, and it doesn't say it in the scriptures, but can't your mind move to heaven Was the father's heart breaking? Was Michael the archangel standing there with sword drawn, looking at the father just going, send me. Send me, I'll destroy them all. And to have the father say nothing. And for Jesus to endure that. And then the Bible says that they would untie his wrists and can you imagine collapsing to the ground? And then Roman guards help him up and they find this purple robe and they put it on and then they find these thorns and then they make this makeshift crown and they put it on his head and the Bible says that they took a rod and smashed it into a skull and made sure that it stayed put. And then they would blindfold him and hit him with rods and punch him in the face and prophesy who hit you. Then they would take it off. And before five or six hundred Roman guards, they, they would all start to bow in mockery. Oh, hell, king of the Jews. And the only thing they didn't recognize is not only was he the king of the Jews, he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he was enduring it 
for the joy set before him. And then they bring him to Pilate. He's like, okay, I've come up with this plan. It's always around this time that I release a prisoner to you. Do you want Jesus or Barabbas? Guys, Barabbas was a murderer. It's like a terrorist. So it's like, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? This is like a church softball pitch. I mean, you can tell he did this on purpose. Can you imagine what it, what it felt like for Pilate as his heart dropped when he started hearing Barabbas? Give us Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. Imagine the religious leaders just going around and say Barabbas, 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 and they start to say Barabbas, and Pilate knew why all this was happening. The Bible says that Pilate knew that the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus. And now there's this riot starting. He says, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And then the chant starts, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then it gets louder. And now everybody's in this frenzy. Isn't it amazing? And haven't we seen it over the last couple of years that one person can say one thing, whether it's true or not, but just get a whole crowd going when people haven't even heard the facts. Guys, this is the same crowd that less than a week before when Jesus came riding in on the colt of a donkey, they were saying, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're declaring him to be the Messiah. This is the guy we've been waiting for. And less than a week later, they're now chanting. They're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate signs the edict. Then he washes his hands in front of the people and says, his blood is on your hand, or is on your heads. And not just on our heads, but on our children as well. They take the robe off of Jesus and put his clothes back on, and then they begin the walk, but before they begin the walk, they take the cross beam, not the whole cross, the cross beam that weighs between 70 to 120 pounds. Picture Jesus, he's been up all night, he's been beaten up by, by temple guards, he's been beaten up and, and jacked up and tortured by Roman guards, he's gone through the cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, and now they're gonna place 120 pounds on his back, and Jesus embraces it. And they didn't even have to move him. They didn't have to point him. They didn't have to poke at him. He starts to walk. Why? For the joy set before me endures the cross. The Roman guards had to surround him. Why? Because people were coming. They were breaking through the Roman guards, pulling chunks of his beard out, spitting on him, slapping him. And Jesus, he just kept walking. Why? Because in the garden he prayed this. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. At some point, the crossbeam becomes too heavy or maybe he trips me and then he just hits the ground. Can you imagine 120 pounds landing on your body? He can't get up. So Roman guard finds a guy named Simon, a different guy named Simon. Come here, pick it up, finish it. Mm -mm, I can't do that. He says, pick it up, I'm not asking. Did he help Jesus up? Did he pull it up? And then maybe as he's holding, he's helping Jesus up and Jesus, maybe his eyes are swollen and, and he just looks at him and maybe he just whispers these words, I want him to be with me. And Simon carries the cross the rest of the way, but Jesus walks, no one's pushing him. When they get to Golgotha, the place of the skull, they would completely strip Jesus naked. They would attach the cross beam to the vertical beam they would lay Jesus down across the cross. 
They would take one arm, completely stretch it out as far as they could and take a railroad spike and drive it between the two bones in his wrist. And then they would take his other arm and stretch out as far as they could and drive a railroad spike between the bones in that wrist. And then they would take one foot, place it over the other and bend it up and drive a spike through both feet. And do you know what the Bible says while this was happening, what Jesus said? And the way that it's worded in the original language means that he said it over and over and over. It was not just a one statement. It was over and over. Guys, as they're driving spikes with a mallet into one wrist, he just starts crying out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. And as he goes in the next, he just keeps screaming out for their forgiveness. And through the thing, just forgive them, Father. They don't know. And as they hoist the cross up, the God who created gravity became too weak to hold himself up. Gravity would begin to pull down on its creator. Because he's attached to the cross, because his arms are completely stretched out, but the weight of his body would cause his shoulders to dislocate, his elbows to dislocate. And he'd be left there to die. Father, I want those that you've given to me to be with me where I am to see me in all my glory who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Friends, a person who was attached to a cross never died because they bled too much. They died because they couldn't breathe. See, when your body's hanging, you can inhale, but you can't, get the ex- you can't exhale, you can't get the oxygen out, you can't get carbon dioxide out. You just have it all in there, it becomes poisonous gas. At about nine in the morning, he's attached to a cross. Can you imagine for six hours? He only made it six hours. Why? Because he's bleeding profusely. So in order for him to exhale, he has to pull up on the spikes that are in his wrist and push up on the one in his feet. And there wouldn't be these long breaths. That's why he doesn't say very much from the cross. But it'd be more like, (laughs) for six hours, he's just trying to breathe. The creator of the universe, why would he do this? For by grace you've been saved through faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Guys, about noon, the sky went dark like midnight. And there's a point where Jesus prays from the cross. And he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, it's the only time in all the gospel accounts when I see Jesus pray where he does not refer to God as Father. Every other time he calls him father, papa, abba, except here. Guys, it's my conviction that at this moment, that this is the reason why Jesus sweat drops of blood. This is the part where he was terrified of the cross. Yes, the physical part, I can't even imagine going through that excruciating pain. But it's my conviction that at that moment when when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's my conviction on the cross, he was experiencing hell, the full and complete wrath of God for the sin of every single person who lived before that moment, who was alive at that moment, and all of us to follow all the weight of the sin of the world, of every single person, and all the guilt and shame, he's experiencing it. And he experienced being forsaken by the Father so that we could be forgiven by the Father. Guys, what else could God do to prove to you that he just loves you? 
Like you have never, I have never had anyone love me like this. And I never will. And I don't deserve it. I don't deserve any of it. It's almost the sixth hour and Jesus knows he's about ready to die. His heart is just going like crazy, just trying to find any ounce of blood left. And while he's on the cross, he says these three words, it is finished. He just cries this out, it is finished. Guys, it's a banker's term. Literally what Jesus said in that moment was this, paid in full. Guys, what he's referring to, why do you have to die? The whole Testament, when you look at the law and you look at Leviticus, God prescribes this is what has to happen for sin. To make atonement for sin, you have to go to the priest and he has to present this sacrifice without blemish. Do you realize that in Leviticus, there's to be a sacrifice, two sacrifices every day. One at about 9 a.m., the second one at about 3 p.m. Jesus is, across, is, is attached to a cross at 9 a.m. and he dies about 3 p.m. He's the fulfillment of the requirements of God to bring about salvation. Friends, no one would ever be forgiven by the shedding of blood of bulls and goats. All of those things pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would take away, take away the sin of the world by dying in our place because he's the only perfect lamb who could. And the last thing that Jesus said, he had just said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then before he dies, he says, Father. He goes back to it, why? Because he's paid the penalty. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. The centurion's looking at him. He's going, surely this was the son of God. The scene shifts from Jesus on the cross to the temple. And there's the most holy place in the temple and a lot of scholars think that there's a curtain and that curtain's about 18 inches thick that kept everyone out of the most holy place. The high priest could go in there one time of year, one time a year, the day of atonement, to present a sacrifice for the sin of the people of Israel. It was thought that if the high priest went into that holy of places with an, un, with an unclean heart, that the high priest would die in the very presence of God so no one ever went back there. And that curtain that separated everyone from the most holy place was torn from top to bottom as if the father took his finger and just sliced that mother open and it popped open as if God's saying, you now have access to me because why? It's been paid in full. Jesus paid it all. And how's the song go? All to him I owe. Friends, I used, to live, I used to leave Jesus on the cross because it's a lot easier to make kids and students feel guilty, to make a decision emotionally, but not really, because I needed an ego stroke. Guys, I, I remember the first time a student asked me after he made a decision, he saw me the next, more, next day, and he goes, Brian, did you see me? I said, I saw it, it was great. He was gonna ask you a question. I said, sure, he goes, what happened next? I'm like, well, you little brat, why weren't you listening? And I went, oh, I never told him. In the last 20 years, I've never forgotten to tell the best part. Jesus died, and three days later, he kicked death in the face and came back from the dead, just like he said. Guys, think about it. He predicted Easter and pulled that thing off. He said, I just can't believe it. You're in great company, why? Because none of his disciples believed it either. None of them were there on Sunday morning holding balloons outside the tomb with a sign, welcome back. None of them, they were all hiding. 
In fact, the women that were shown, the guys are hiding in a room. Women show up, prepare the body for what? Burial. Not to meet him alive. No one believed it. But it's true. What do you do with Jesus? Maybe some of you, you've been brought up in the church, and you know that Jesus died for you. But do you know why? Do you know what he endured? Why he endured it? Why he would want to endure it? Friends, the Bible's clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible's clear, says the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Jesus Christ, our what? Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that word confess means to say something in such a way that your life will follow what you just stated. You're not saved by works, but your works will show that you're saved. Do you see the difference? You don't work to get heaven. You work because you already have it as worship. But my life should be this evidence to the world that I'm different, I'm set apart, I'm holy, I'm sanctified, I'm pushed over here. God's like, you're mine. And then he indwells you by his Holy Spirit. I should look drastically different than the rest of the world who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have this hope. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you call out to him, in other words, you're saying, I surrender my life. I surrender, Jesus. You are master. I give up all my rights. I receive your gift of salvation. It is not this. Pray a prayer. Say these words. Done. Then you can do whatever you want. Friends, that's not surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. That's just thinking that you're getting a fire insurance policy that's not real. It's surrendering to the lordship of Jesus and accepting his invitation to what? To follow him. Guys, it all comes together. It's not, I want to follow you, and then I'll, well, I want to get saved, and then I'll decide if I really want to follow you. That's not how it works. You surrender to his lordship. God, would you save me? I want to follow, and right when I do that, he goes, yes, and salvation is mine. The spirit of God comes in. My identity changes from sinner to saint, and I'll still struggle with sin. Temptation will be real, but I'm free to not sin because I have the power of God at my disposal. For God so loved you that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As the worship team comes back up, I just want to ask you, guys, I know that most of you come from a church, and I saw a lot of hands go up and say, I've been proud of my church the whole life. I know this story. Do you really know this story? Or we've just gotten used to, oh, Jesus died for you. He died, he came back from the dead. Guys, the gospel should grasp us. It's almost like it should choke our soul. When we get the gospel, wow, God loves me like that. Brian, what if I don't want him? Then you don't have to receive him. It's your choice but you will stand before a holy God one day. And what will your resume say if you can't make yourself right with God? God will say, I'll have to judge you. Oh, you're just trying to scare me. I'm telling you the truth. 
I made a commitment a long time ago, tell the truth. God, I'll preach the truth no matter what. As hard as it gets, oh God, give me the strength, but give me the grace. I'm telling you this, God adores you. How do I know? Because a cross screams it. So friends, you don't have to stand up. I wanna make sure that's very clear. You are not saved by any work. The Bible's clear, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you call out to him to save you, he says, right then, you're his. But if you remember that on March 4th, 2023 at Hume, New England in chapel, I made it known to everyone that I've surrendered my life to Jesus. And maybe you did it before now, or maybe you're doing it right now. But knowing this, you do not have to stand up. But if you would let us know, and every one of us, heads up, eyes open, we get to watch. But if you're saying, I want people to know, I wanna surrender my life to Christ. I wanna be right with him. I wanna be forgiven. I wanna get to call him dad. Friends, if you wanna come into a relationship, be forgiven in right relationship with God. It's only through Jesus. If you've done that or you wanna do that right now and let all of us know with everyone watching, and I know it's like, everyone's watching, I know, but they're watching because they're excited for you. Does anybody wanna surrender to Jesus or you've surrendered since you've been here? Go ahead and stand up, anybody? Look around, don't look at me, I'm saved. Anybody? Okay, that's okay. Like, oh, poor guy, he sweated. Guys, I sweat when I peel oranges, it doesn't matter. And I just preach the message, how about this? Some of you claim to follow Christ, it's like, I, I claim heaven, but you smell like hell. It's like, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm just not practicing right now. That's like me saying, oh, I'm married to my wife, I'm just not practicing right now. You're living in sin, you've turned your head back on Jesus and you've wandered off and it's time to repent. Turn from sin, come back to Christ, come back to intimacy with God, be restored in that relationship with him. Or maybe for some of you, you're just broken. It's just a hard time in life. You're just like, God, are you ever gonna step in? Are you ever gonna help? Maybe that's you. If, that's, if, in your, if you're in one of those camps, and you don't have to tell me a word what it is that you're doing, why, why you're standing, I don't need to know. But if you're saying, I need to return, I need to come back, I need to repent from sin, or, God, I'm broken, would you please help me? If that's you, would you stand up? Anybody in the room? Okay, thank you. Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? And I know it's like people are going to know. Absolutely, they're going to know. Then they can pray. Anybody else? Okay, here's what we're going to do. Let me, let me pray. We're going to start, we're going to finish with one song, and then you'll be given instructions what we're going to do afterwards. Cool? Does that make sense? But here's what I want you to do I want you to worship Jesus in a manner worthy of Jesus. Does it make sense? So this is our gift to him. So we're gonna go, Jesus, what do you want? What do you want me to do? I'll do it. Like, I just wanna make you happy. And if we're still doing the same song, are we doing that same song? Yeah, that one. Oh my gosh, it just makes my face fall off. Like, I love this song so much, I grow hair and then it falls back out. It's nuts. So when she says, like, oh my gosh, you're killing me. Guys, we're just gonna worship for what Jesus did. And we're going to sing these words, all hail King Jesus. Guys, think about just who we're singing to and what he's done. And maybe for some of you, you're just sitting there going, okay, I, I do, I want to stay back. And you can't afterwards. Like, don't feel like, I didn't stand up. It's all done. I'm, I can't do it. Guys, this is just your time, but that's worship. 
students, youth leaders, Hume staff, governor of Massachusetts, like whoever's here, that's just, we worship, right? They're just gonna worship, and it's not like, I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter if you feel like it or not, it's him. It's for him. It's not for us. Worship's for him. Jesus, we thank you that you took our cross. We thank you that you took the wrath of God. We thank you that we could not save ourselves and you came for us. Father, we thank you that it was your will to crush your son, that he was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. We thank you for your love for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in our lives. And in this moment, Jesus, we worship you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God, in this moment to you be all praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's followers say, amen. Love you more than you know.